Welcome to Recovery Coast to Coast, broadcasting from Clear Channel Studios in Seattle, Washington, carried live on Fox Radio 850 KHHO in Tacoma, Washington, and carried nationally in streaming audio at www.recoverycoasttocoast.org. Two hours of interviews and features, plus questions and comments about this one-day-at-a-time adventure in personal recovery as we share experience, strength, and hope with others so that they may recover from alcohol and other drug and behavioral addictions. And now, Recovery Coast to Coast is on the air. Here's your host, Neil Scott. Welcome back once again to Recovery Coast to Coast, the only program in America on the air five nights a week, two hours a night, talking about addiction with a focus on recovery. I'm Neil Scott, here till midnight tonight, and really delighted to be down here in Texas. I've been down to Texas many, many times. There are great programs, great recovery, and we are at a great facility. We are at the Hyatt Regency Hill Country Resort tonight, uh, San Antonio, Texas, 41st Annual TAP State Conference on Addiction Studies. TAP is the Texas Association of Addiction Professionals. They've been around a long time. They do good quality work. And if there's anyone listening in the state of Texas, listening to our program tonight, and you're not a member of TAP, please get in touch with TAP because we need you, and frankly, you need TAP. We have a panel today I would like to introduce, Paula Heller-Garland. She is the president of TAP. Dr. Kirk Bowden, he's president of NADAC, which uh, for our listeners is the National Association of Addiction Professionals. Dr. Phyllis Gardner, president of ICNRC. One of the things in the field of addiction that always amazes me is all the acronyms that we have. Sometimes we don't know what the hell we're talking about. We talk to people in a different language. We may understand one another, but the general public does not. So that's the International Certification and Reciprocity Consortium. An old friend, Cynthia Marino-Tui, is also on the panel. She is the executive director of NADAC. Sherry Layton is the regional vice president of NADAC. NADAC's such a great organization, and I, I'm so pleased that they have turned out in such great numbers here at this state conference. And then uh, at the far end of the panel, Dr. Frank Davis. He's chairman of TCBAP, which is the Texas Certification Board of Addiction Professionals. We will be here until midnight tonight talking about addiction with a focus on recovery. We're going to begin, and we only have one microphone for the panel, so we're going to ask folks to share it. Uh, the first thing I want to ask our panelists this evening is, what do you see as the main challenges in the addiction field over the next few years, and how can we better reinforce the bridge from successful treatment to sustained recovery? And let's begin with uh, Paula Heller-Garland. What do you see as some of the challenges in the addictions field over the next few years, and how can we better reinforce the bridge from successful treatment to sustained recovery. I know many treatment centers around the country, uh, certainly in the past, maybe not necessarily now, were of the model of treat and release. People would go through a treatment center and a treatment program, maybe 30 days. They would be released, and then the treatment program would be more interested in getting someone else to fill that bed rather than building that bridge and helping that person to sustain recovery. So, Paula, how do you see the challenges, and how do you see us better building that bridge? Um, a couple of the challenges that I see in the addiction profession will be just to unify the, the language that we use in the profession. Uh, many of us in the profession still use terms like chemical dependency and substance mm -hmm. abuse and those those terms. I think that the use of multiple words to describe substance use disorder probably complicates things for the general public. 
So if we could all still start referring to things in the same way, referring to things as substance use disorder and addiction, I believe it will bring more credibility to our profession. And um, then uh, how to bridge the gap between treatment and recovery. I, I believe in a, re a recovery-oriented system of care where we use all the resources that are already available in our community to wrap around the client, uh, to, to plug them into services while they're in treatment. The use of peer specialists, uh, recovery coaches uh, on the front end, on the back end, so we are we can get long-term recovery. And the, and the finally is uh, people in recovery coming out of the shadows and, um, and to stop hiding behind anonymity and to share their story. So and, and to understand that there's a difference between anonymity and standing up and saying you're in recovery. Absolutely. Anonymity strictly deals with the 12-step group. Absolutely, absolutely. No one, no one needs to say what, where they are a member, but to share that they are a person in long-term recovery. If our celebrities can do that, if our, um, our, our, our professionals can do that, if our doctors and lawyers and, and, and everyone in the community can, can start seeing that recovery looks like this. Recovery doesn't look like their, what they, their image of, of, of recovery is because we know addiction and recovery are two different things, but I don't think society in general does. So if we can stand up and fight, uh, if, we, if we can take the stigma away from uh, what, what, uh, what recovery looks like. Uh, Dr. Kirk Bowden is going to answer that same question in terms of, of building that bridge and in terms of taking a look at recovery and some of the challenges of treatment versus recovery going forward. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention is not only about recovery of the individual, but about working with addiction professionals like yourself. I have, I think one of the big challenges in our field is that sometimes our profession is not viewed on the same level as other behavioral health professions. And I, I, I think that's manifest by marriage and family therapists, social workers, licensed professional counselors, all um, have national licensure. Our licensure is in every state. There's no national licensure, but they have it. They're licensed in every state. And in most states, they're allowed to practice addiction counseling without taking a single course, having a single hour of work experience in that field. And this concerns me, where in many states, uh, addiction counseling is not even a licensed profession. I think it's critical that uh, in order for um, our profession to move forward and for us as counselors to serve the profession is that our field becomes more recognized as a profession. And I think one thing that has to happen is that we have to have licensure in every state and that um, it has to be viewed that in order to practice um, profession in the profession, practice as an addiction counselor, that you have to have um, experience. Right now, as I, I mentioned, social work, marriage and family, licensed clinical um, social workers, licensed um, clinical uh, psychologists, many of them, the vast majority, uh, have not even had more than one course, if even a single course, yet their states allow them to practice without um, w without any additional training or experience. Now, that doesn't happen in other fields. My son is a physician. He's an anesthesiologist, and there's a single license. However, if he decided he wanted to do 
um, orthopedic surgery or plastic surgery. There's only one license he's licensed to do it, but he would be disciplined severely by the medical board for practicing outside of the scope of education. Mm. That has not happened in our field. So we have many people that are practicing that are not qualified to practice. We as a addiction professionals need to support our, our profession, become active, uh, and move that, move licensing, move the status of the profession forward. Are we making progress, Kirk? And if you're just joining us on Recovery Coast to Coast, uh, Dr. Kirk Bowden is president of NADAC, uh, and, and we're discussing uh, some of the challenges in the addictions field over the next few years. Are we making progress? Uh, we are. Uh, just a very few years ago, very, very few states had any licensing for addiction counselors or substance abuse. I believe as of today, there are 26 states that have licensure, and uh, there are several other states that have uh, activity taking place, including California, which is, I think, huge in order to try to move licensure forward so that we actually have a profession uh, we're licensed and viewed as professionals. Our next panelist is Dr. Phyllis Gardner. She's president of IC and RC, the International Certification and Reciprocity Consortium. Uh, Phyllis, what do you see as some of the challenges going forward in this field? Well, I, I have to agree with a lot of, of what Dr. Bowden said. Um, the the lack of, of standards that, that are uh, that cross all boundaries, all state boundaries and so forth. One, one solution obviously is a national credential, a national license as, as Kirk mentioned. But what we're seeing at the moment, and again this is, this is sort of where we wind up sometimes at loggerheads even within our own profession. Um, representing ICNRC, we represent a lot of the, the um, certifications and many of the licensure boards that do exist. And, and we agree that, that you know, properly credentialed people, that's, that's the best way to protect the public. Um, but at the same time, we also recognize that um, what, what Texas believes is the best way to go in terms of how much education and, and what kind of education and things like that, uh, someplace like California doesn't necessarily agree. And so far, we have not been able to get all of the states in any sort of agreement. Mm. So in the absence of a national license, what we've done at ICNRC is attempt to bridge those gaps state by state, jurisdiction by jurisdiction, including separate uh, boards for branches of the military and the Indian Health Services and so forth. So I think the challenge going forward is to find a way to merge these two ideas into something that other professionals will recognize and accept because we, we seem to be just sort of beating our heads against the wall as long as we don't have, have one single uniform message. So ICNRC and NADAC have, have been working the last few years trying to find more ways that we can collaborate in terms of legislative advocacy, educating the public, um, looking at ways that we can do something credential-wise that, that might be helpful to the profession, and, and generally just educating the profession and, and our government, for heaven's yeah, sakes. Yeah. So th I think those are our big challenges right now. And of course, you can add to that the affordable care issues and all the, the things associated with who's going to get paid for doing what, and, and all of those things sort of roll into one there. Dr. Phyllis Gardner is president of IC and RC, the International Certification and Reciprocity Consortium. I'm Neil Scott, the program Recovery Coast to Coast. We're going to take a short time out. We will come back on the other side. We're going to talk 
to Cynthia Marino-Tui. She's the executive director of NADAC. We'll find out her thoughts on some of these questions as well. We are broadcasting from the 41st annual TAP State Conference on Addiction Studies here at the Hyatt Regency Hill Country Resort and Spa in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. We'll be right back after this short timeout. These days, we talk about everything. I've been sober now one year, three days, and counting. My sister was restructured at work after 10 years. Welcome to the new normal and the cards for the new normal. New Journeys cards from Hallmark. My girlfriend sent me a card that said I'm really something to celebrate. Encouragement cards for all the stuff we face today. I actually found a card that says, sorry you lost your job. Journeys, new cards with real words for real life. Only at today's Hallmark Gold Crown stores. She has always been your baby. But when your daughter got into drugs and alcohol, she turned into a stranger. What do you do? Where do you turn? Contact Sundown M Ranch. Sundown's nationally recognized youth treatment program guides young people back to a life free of drugs and alcohol. All treatment is gender specific and directed by caring certified professionals in a safe environment. You can get your daughter back and get to know her again. Go to www.sundown.org to learn more. Your daughter's wasted again. You ignore it. You get help. Before long, she's been arrested. Before long, she's been promoted. You post bail. You congratulate her. And then her addiction really takes and off. And then her career really takes off. She stops in from time to time for she money. She stops in from time to time for coffee. But then it's right back to the street. But then it's right back to the office. Years later, the police stop by. Years later, your daughter and son-in-law stop by. They've got bad news. They've got good news. She's gone. She's expecting. You cry. Choose to help a loved one struggling with drugs or alcohol. It could change everything. For more information or help, call 800-662-9111. Here is something to think about. Problem gambling is exactly that, a problem. Looking for a solution? Well, there is a way out. And there is help for you or someone you love who's caught in the web of problem gambling. Help is as close as your phone. Call the Washington State Problem Gambling Helpline, 1-800-522-4700. For confidential help and free information, call a real winning number, 1-800-522-4700. They have the solution for problem gambling. Recovery Coast to Coast is a program feature of the nonprofit Alliance for Recovery. On the air, thanks to the generosity of our friends and listeners. Now, if you're enjoying Recovery Coast to Coast and would like to help us to continue to carry the message of hope and the promise of recovery, you can make a tax-deductible contribution to the Alliance for Recovery at P.O. Box 31451, Seattle, Washington, 98103. Thank you in advance for your support. And we welcome you back to Recovery Coast to Coast. Nice to have you with us tonight. We are down here in the great state of Texas. With uh, we got a great audience. Can we hear the audience? Oh, they're great down here. I, you know, I come down to Texas quite a bit, and it's always great to, to see old friends and see new friends. And the thing that kind of impressed me so far with this conference is a lot, there's a lot of new people I don't know. That's good an influx of new people into our field, which is what we need. Uh, we have a panel tonight, uh, and we're discussing a number of things around treatment and recovery. Uh, the panel includes uh, Dr. Paula Heller-Garland, Dr. Kurt Bowden, 
Dr. Phyllis Gardner, Cynthia Marino-Tui, Sherry Layton, and Dr. Frank Davis. And we'll get to those uh, in just a few minutes. But an old friend who uh, I've known for, gosh, so many years, Cynthia Marino-Tui, I have so much respect for her. Uh, she is the executive director of NADAC. And Cynthia, you have been around a long time. You have you've seen what it was like. You have seen what has happened and what it's like now, and, 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 and perhaps a look into the future. What do you see going forward based on all of that as the key challenges in this field and how we can perhaps better reinforce that bridge from treatment to sustained recovery? Neil, it's great to be back with you and great to see you again. And it's great to see all of you in Texas. So glad to be with you. And those of you on the air, thank you for listening. So, you know, the future is going to hold this for the addiction profession. If we're going to be successful as a profession and actually be reimbursed by managed care organizations, by Medicaid, by uh, other parties, we're going to have to have a unified uh, credentialing system. Uh, MCOs are not going to look to uh, pay credentials that they don't understand, and that's very clear as we move forward with the Affordable Care Act. So that means that, that we as leaders in the addiction profession must find a way to uh, make awareness to managed care organizations and to the government, Medicaid particularly, about the nuances of addiction practice. The other reality is that because there's so many other professions, as Dr. Bowden talked about, that want to do our work without the training and the education, we have to become a mainstay in the healthcare world. In other words, addiction practice is a specialty with its own special courses and experience and clinical supervision. And that that becomes the mainstay. It's not who else can do addiction services. It's who is really trained and able to do that. And so more than ever, we need to create an awareness at a national and state level that says, we're your people. We're the ones trained to do this work. And you're not going to have quality care and you're not going to have recovery that's long term unless you're using people who really understand that. To speak to treatment then, what we're really looking at is people need to be in some type of service, treatment, inpatient, outpatient, continuing care recovery support for longer periods of time. Addiction recovery is a lifetime. That means I need a lifetime of support to help me through that. And that means that we need to have more, uh, more ability to serve people either in treatment centers or with recovery support specialists or ROSC recovery oriented services uh, community centers so that people get that ongoing care. And it's not just for the individual. We have talked for years that we need to have family involved and somehow that keeps getting missed out in many of the reimbursement styles that are available in the United States. We need to treat family members. When family members get treatment, healthcare costs go down, uh, dysfunction in families go down, and the recovery of the family unit becomes more real. So we want to move from generational addiction to generational recovery. That's the goal. Cynthia Marino-Tui is the executive director of NADAC. Uh, and Cynthia, I'm so glad that you said continuing care, because one of my gripes is the, the language that we use, which goes back to what Paula started with, 
there are certain terms that, uh, as a professional in this field, that I don't, I don't like to use. And, and one of them is aftercare. Aftercare gives the illusion that treatment has ended, and then there's this option, this add-on. Oh yeah, and by the way, if you'd like, uh, if you'd like some additional care, if you'd like uh, uh, add-on care, we can do that for you. When in reality, it is continuing care. The treatment is not just 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, but it is a process that begins and continues on. It is, in fact, a part of long-term recovery. Uh, next up on the panel is uh, uh, Sherry Layton. She's the regional vice president of NADAC. How does this fall out in, in the area? And regional, I assume that it's in the Texas area, in terms of some of the challenges, perhaps statewide. I think when we look at some of these and, and taking this in a little bit different direction, um, you know, we've made some great strides over the past few years to make treatment available to more people through the Affordable Care Act with addiction treatment being included in the essential health benefits through the Mental Health Equity and Addiction Treatment Parity Act that required insurance companies to treat uh, addiction as any other illness. Um, and then also uh, adding a substance use benefit to um, Medicaid services. Mm -hmm. So that is uh, a lot of people have access to treatment that didn't have access to treatment a few years ago. And I know here in Texas, we have some workforce shortages in order to be able to respond to that increased demand for treatment. So there's a lot of things that we want to be able to do as far as training of our professionals, but we also need people to, to want to pursue that, to pursue this as a profession. So I think these things that are being talked about, about really um, acknowledging the specialization uh, and acknowledging the value of what we do as addiction professionals, but also encouraging new people to, to join our ranks. Um, we are an aging profession. I think there's, um, I think our, the last statistics were somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of us are over 50 years old. I resemble those remarks. Exactly, uh, as do most of us up here on this panel. <laughs> and, you know, we want to open the doors wide for, for young people to come into our field. But it's more than just opening it up, it's opening it up and paying them a good salary. I know I've seen a lot of new people come into the field that were really bright and sharp and they were swept up by either the mental health field or some other health organization that paid them more money. We've got to pay our people what they're worth. I absolutely agree with you. And you get a big round of applause from the people in this room. In Texas, uh, our, not this legislative session that we just concluded, but the one two years prior to that, which was our last legislative session, we had a 65% increase in funding for addiction treatment services in Texas, and, and part of that was an increase in funding uh, for um, contracted services just to really be able to, to pay a better rate for the services that were being mm -hmm. provided. Uh, we had a significant increase in funding this legislative session for prevention services. Really? Yes. Um, and there was a, uh, I believe it was $11 million increase for um, prevention services overall, and then about a $7 million increase in neonatal abstinence syndrome services. Mm -hmm. So we are recognizing in Texas, and there's a lot of people who are uh, working with the state and really uh, holding their feet to the fire, so to speak, for increasing rates so that organizations can pay better wages to their to their counselors, 
And so absolutely that is something that we are working for here uh, locally. Sherry Layton is the regional vice president of NADAC and part of this panel that I'm calling leaders and legends because these people have been around a long time. They are the top people in the state and the top people in the country, as a matter of fact. And so if you're just joining us, we are broadcasting from down here at the 41st Annual TAP State Conference on Addiction Studies. And we are at the beautiful Hyatt Regency Hill Country Resort and Spa, a place that should probably have its own zip code. I've been to a lot of hotels, but this hotel is... It's absolutely mammoth. Uh, we're going to take a short time out. When we come back on the other side, we're going to talk to Frank Davis. He is chairman of TCBAP. Wonder what that is? We'll tell you when we come back. I'm Neil Scott on Recovery Coast to Coast. Stay with us. I lie to all my friends. I mean, I look right at my kids and lie to them. I make excuses to my family. I make excuses to the people at work. I hide the truth from everyone. Cover up at family holidays. You know, act as if everything is okay. Pretend I'm happy. Every day, I deceive everyone close to me. This man isn't addicted to drugs or alcohol. He's just addicted to covering up for someone who is. He thinks it helps, but it doesn't. Find out what does. For more information or help, call 800-662-9111. Are you afraid? Afraid of life without drugs and alcohol? There is help and hope at Sundown M Ranch. At Sundown, the focus is on you and your disease. You will learn how to live without depending on drugs and alcohol. Sundown M Ranch is nationally recognized for effective and affordable alcohol and drug treatment programs. Reclaim your life. Replace your fears with hope. Go to www.sundown.org right now to learn more. Reason number 22 to switch to GEICO. We think renters are cool. Now, we don't know if you were born cool or if it's just all the cool stuff you have in your apartment. The point is, if you want to protect your considerable coolness, ask GEICO about renter's insurance. For as little as $12 a month, you can protect all the stuff you hold near and dear, including that combination flat-screen TV espresso machine. Now that is cool. For a fast, easy rate quote on renter's insurance, visit GEICO.com or call 1-800-947-AUTO. Our next exercise, killing spider in bathroom. As you hear your wife scream, begin with a light jog, then run to bathroom. Four, three, two, one. Find spider on wall and squat and squash. Squat and squash. Spider lunges at you. Now scream like a schoolgirl. Good. And sprint. Now run. Life is exercise. Snickers Marathon is energy. Great tasting, nutritious, long lasting energy for the demands of your day. Grab a Snickers Marathon in the energy bar aisle. Aha! Think earlier. Brew Starbucks at home. Available where groceries are sold. Today is the day. Think earlier. Brew Starbucks at home. Available where groceries are sold. Yeah, I've been drunk in the last 30 days. And how old are you? 13. Do your parents know? No. In Washington, one in six eighth graders used alcohol in the past month. I'm Governor Gregoire. We can keep kids alcohol-free if we start talking now. About how many times have you had five or more drinks in a row this month? Maybe three. And how old are you? Fifteen. For more information, visit StartTalkingNow.org. That's StartTalkingNow.org. Oh, 
Welcome back once again. Recovery Coast to Coast. I'm Neil Scott, broadcasting from the 41st Annual TAP State Conference on Addiction Studies at the Hyatt Regency Hill Country Resort and Spa in San Antonio, Texas. We have a panel of leaders and legends in this particular hour of Recovery Coast to Coast. And we're talking about a number of things regarding not only treatment, but prevention, treatment, and recovery. The final member of this panel is Dr. Frank Davis. He's the chairman of TCBAP. And again, we throw these acronyms out. Uh, anybody have an idea what it is? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's the Texas Certification Board of Addiction Professionals. And Frank, uh, let me ask you the same questions I've asked the, uh, the other members of the panel in terms of how you see the challenges in this field going forth. Uh, a, a field that has been changing, has been evolving over the years, and how we can better as a field, as a state, as a community, reinforce that bridge from treatment to sustained recovery. Well, thank you, Neil, and I have to be perfectly honest as far as acronyms, that D stands for Donald, that's not Dr. Frank Davis, but I appreciate the... Uh, <laughs> I've just given him his doctorate. <laughs> I guess it could consider it an honorary doctorate. It's good enough for me. So, Doc, uh, what do you say? <laughs> Thank you, Neil. I, I see a lot of challenges, Neil, and I've heard everybody up here talk quite extensively about all of them. Uh, you know, with the certification board, we see uh, a lot of issues going on with the state and, and internationally also, but uh, unification was mentioned. I think it's one of the key components there. We have to unify not just as a profession, but as advocates for what we do, I mean, we can, we need to come together as different organizations. But one of the things I have found out, and I've worked with the legislature for the last 20 years, the louder the voice is and the more people involved, the more action you're likely to get taken. Where we fall down in that is a big area is we tend to rely on other people to take our voices for us. And, you know, the more people that contact your representatives that make your voice known, that speak up, and I'm glad we have shows like this, and the more professional they see us. Uh, workforce shortage is, is, is the big And You know, there's always a ripple effect. DSHS increased their funding uh, because the legislature increased funding, but then to, to private treatment and other areas of treatment, and I work in the correctional part, and we're struggling, as well as, as, well as a lot of other people talking last night, a facility here in San Antonio uh, for people that were waiting to come into treatment. And their dropout rate went from 75% dropout with 25% admission on the waiting list. It reversed itself and went to 25% dropout to a 75. That's phenomenal. You just don't hear that. That is, yes, absolutely yeah. phenomenal. We need peer mentors as part of our, our field, part of our profession, to pre-treatment, while in treatment, and after treatment, and to engage not just the person in recovery, but the families, Cynthia mentioned the families. I think that is so, so important because research has shown over and over again, you take a sick person out of a sick environment and make him better and put him back in that same environment, guess what he's going to do? He's going to get sick again unless the whole family gets treatment and the whole family gets better. That's got to happen. Thank you. Uh, funding, again, I mentioned funding. It has got to come up. Uh, we struggle right now in Texas. People can go down here and, and work at McDonald's making more than they can working in the trenches uh, dealing with people that need it the most. Uh, that's, that's a tough issue. It's a really tough issue. It's really tough to recruit. One of the things we know, and you know, uh, Sherry mentioned we're getting a lot more people into treatment. The latest research still indicates about 10% of those who qualify for treatment are getting treatment. That means we got 90% of the people that need treatment, that need assistance, are not getting it. They're out there dying every day. Right now on the East Coast, and it's moving our way, folks, we have a 
heroin and opioid uh, uh, epidemic. People are dropping dead and dying every day. Some people are starting to pay attention because of some of the people that it's affecting more so now. Uh, that message has got to get out. We need to stop this before it gets to us. I mean, we need to be willing to step up and, and keep current with what's going on. We have to open up the eyes of our legislatures and educate them. You know, they are so narrow-sighted. Uh, when you explain to them every dollar you spend saves $10 or $7, uh, that's a very uh, conservative estimate. And all they can say is, well, I want to show my, my constituents that I cut dollars. And they're still doing that. They're still mm -hmm. cutting treatment funding dollars up there in D.C. and in other places also. That has got to stop. You know, if you spend money to save money, that's a good investment. If you say, cut money and it ended, ended up costing you more in the long run, then it costs money. And what a lot of them don't realize, they cut out a $1,000 worth of treatment and somebody goes out and commits $10,000 worth of crime because they couldn't get in treatment. Because it takes crime to support these drug habits. We know that. It's such a strong, strong correlation with that. Pay me now or pay me later. Pay me now or pay me later. And uh, we had some really good progressive movement in Texas, and we're still continuing that. We had some really uh, some Republican and Democrats that crossed over and said, hey, let's, let's don't lock them up and throw away the key. Let's get smart on crime. You know, Jerry Madden did an incredible amount of work down here in Texas as far as doing, uh, spending money on treatment, and uh, we've actually shut down three prisons in, tr in Texas in wow. the last five years. Wow. Good for Texas. This was after they went to the criminal, after they went to the criminal justice board and said we need to build three more prisons. And Madden said, "Enough's enough. You know, we got to spend money to save money, and we got to spend it in the right way." And money started being shifted into treatment, into diversion programs, and it's saving the state a lot of money now. At best estimates, around 10 million dollars or so a year. So uh, it's an incredible savings for the state of Texas. We've got to get smart on it, and we've got to continue to look at this not as a acute care problem, but as a long-term problem that needs all kinds of resources. Thank you. Frank Davis is the chairman of the Texas Certification Board of Addiction Professionals. I'm Neil Scott, the program Recovery Coast to Coast. Another short break, and when we come back on the other side, we're going to ask the panel one more question. What is it? Well, we'll tell you when we come back. I'm Neil Scott, the program Recovery Coast to Coast from the 41st Annual TAP State Conference on Addiction Studies down in San Antonio, Texas. Thank you for calling AAA. How can I help you? Oh, great. Hi, we've got a major malfunction going on here. What's the problem, sir? Well, the problem is that some friends and I decided to go whitewater rafting down this river just outside of town. Sounds adventurous. Yeah, well, it was until one of us who kept his keys in his pocket lost them, hello, <laughs> when he fell, up, oh, I'm sorry, was thrown out of the raft by some supposed tidal wave. Oh, so you're locked out. <laughs> well, we were until our friend Brian came out with an extra set of keys. So you're not locked out. Uh, no. But Brian is. Nice job, Brian. The genius locked his keys in the car when he got out to give us our extras. Bummer. Exactly. Well, tell Brian to hang tight, and we'll be right out. Oh, you are the best. See, I told you, man. They're the best. At AAA, we understand it's never just the lockout. That's why we're dedicated to helping you with quick personal service to get you moving again. AAA. We're not just about cars. We're about you. Call 1-800-JOIN-AAA or visit AAA.com. Join now and get $10 off a of basic membership. If you're considering a career as a chemical dependency counselor, here are five reasons to enroll at the Institute of Chemical Dependency Studies. It's recommended for up to 24 hours of college credit by the American Council on Education. 
offers an accelerated distance learning program, is an ADAC-approved provider, and their training meets the criteria for the Certified Justice Professional Certification. Plus, student loans are also available. Start your career today. Call 866-523-2669 or go to www.cdstudies.com. We now join the new Diet 7-Up Taste Challenge already in progress. Okay, I want you all to try this and then just say the first thing that pops in your head. Amazing. Yeah, mm, totally. Mm, there's more flavor. Yeah, more natural flavor. Mm-hmm. More lemon-lime flavor. Yeah, you're both right. There's more natural lemon-lime flavor. Yeah, the lemon-lime flavor is totally zesty. Zingy. Zippy. With zero calories. What is it? Yeah. New Diet 7-Up. Diet 7-Up is new? Yeah, it's been totally reinvented with more natural lemon-lime flavor than ever. It's totally refreshing. I love I know. it. No. Uh, and it's diet, too. And where's the aftertaste? Now, yeah. that is refreshing. <laughs> Here's to more flavor in our lives. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Try new Diet 7-Up, now with more natural lemon-lime flavor than ever. Diet 7-Up, totally reinvented, totally refreshing. Stop in to your nearest grocery or convenience store today and pick up the new Diet 7-Up. Diet 7-Up has been totally reinvented and still has zero calories. Taste the new refreshing burst of lemon-lime flavors in Diet 7-Up today. We wasted a lot of years hoping, praying for things to get better. I was desperate to save our family. That's when I made the contact. She contacted Sundown M Ranch. Sundown's nationally recognized alcohol and drug treatment program teaches family members how to break down the barriers of denial. They are taught the skills needed to deal with addiction as a family. Now we're making up for lost time. It was the best contact I ever made. Go to www.sundown.org to learn more. Welcome back once again. We are in San Antonio, Texas. I see you laughing out there. Uh, We are in San Antonio, Texas at the uh, Hyatt Regency Hill Country Resort and Spa. It is the 41st annual TAP State Conference on Addiction Studies. TAP is one of the most exciting, one of the most vibrant, one of the most successful, and one of the most influential organizations in the field of addictions. And I'm delighted to be down here and to be a part of this and to be facilitating this panel with some of the top experts, including Paula Heller-Garland, who is the president of TAP. I want to ask a question, one more question of the panel, and this is, what do you see the role and the inherent responsibilities of people in recovery in not only carrying the message, but sending a message? I believe that people in recovery have an obligation to share their stories, uh, to stand up. I, I spoke about this earlier, to stand up and let people see that this is what recovery looks like. And um, we spoke uh, last night about uh, the fact that media covers tragedy and uh, struggle and loss. Recovery will never make front page news. It will not. A relapse will. It absolutely will. It absolutely will. There are some people who don't even know that people like Robert Downey Jr. are Mm -hmm. in recovery because that's not publicized. Rob Lowe just had 25 years just the other day. Absolutely. And uh, there are people that weren't even alive whenever he was struggling. That's right. So uh, perhaps if the obligation of people that are in recovery is to share their story, People that, that have high-profile positions like celebrities, like politicians, uh, maybe they could open the door for uh, professors and doctors and uh, attorneys to share their personal story. Good point, because they are, in fact, celebrities. Uh, back, in, uh, back in the late 70s, I was involved in a program called Operation Understanding. Fifty-two prominent people in Washington, D.C. stood up and said, I have a disease called alcoholism. I am in recovery. I am not ashamed of it. They were people who were stars at the time. Uh, Dick Van Dyke, uh, Gary Moore, who had a television program, former Senator Harold Hughes, 
uh, astronaut Buzz Aldrin. After those four or five, the balance of the people were people who had risen to the top in their profession. A name that comes to mind right off the bat is Jim Kemper, head of Kemper Insurance. He was a celebrity within the insurance industry. So there, when we say celebrities, I think we need to look not just at the movie and TV stars, but people who have high influence in uh, the various communities that we are a part of. And it's going to take a, a big risk. You know, it's going to take a big risk. Any any movement that has happened before uh, this this of a recovery movement was people who took risks, who said, "I'm, I'm willing to take the, the I'm, I'm willing to make the sacrifice of my own life to further this cause." And I know everyone in here feels so passionate about our cause and our purpose. If we're willing to collectively take that risk, perhaps we'll be like like the HIV movement, mm -hmm. uh, the cancer movement, the movements that have come before us, where we just say it's not okay anymore for us to be treated like under you know uh, uh, like we're some second-class citizens uh, and and stand up and the, and the people who have been successful have got to be the ones who start we have become the silent majority and that silence has got to stop has got to stop we, we stand up we tell our stories and we let people know we may be the only recovery another person sees Let's move on down the line to uh, Doc, Dr. Kirk Bowden, president of NADAC. You've been around this field a long time. Uh, yeah, you can tell. <laughs> You've um, been pulling your hair out for a long have. time, as have I. So, And in fact, that's one thing that I wanted to talk about. I, I, I think that it's important in recovery that there is anonymity, but once people are in recovery, I think it's time for individuals to sometimes sacrifice that individual, that anonymity for the benefit of others. I, I think as not only as celebrities, let it be known that they're in recovery, but even within your own families. Um, I, I think there has been a lot of stigma. I teach at a, a, um, a college that uh, when I uh, went to work about at that college 25 years ago, there was a, um, to have an addiction counseling, our addiction um, then it was called chemical dependency counseling program. Many of the faculty voted, not, tried to vote not to allow that to happen. They lobbied with the president. They didn't want those kind of people on campus. It was embarrassing to them. Uh, I, it was a very difficult time for many years to fight in order to even get so that we could develop our field, to have education so that we could be a profession, so that um, people were not embarrassed to um, be a part of our field. And that's changed. And I think a lot of it has changed because people like you are willing to let others know that you're in recovery that what, and how it's changed your life and impacted. Now, at my college, it has become an important part of our college in our addiction and substance use disorder program, we have over 3,000 students on either locally or online in our program. And so mm -hmm. it's becoming more and more important. And now the college could not afford to not have it. And, and I think that's, that's happening nationally. When we started our program, there were just a handful of addiction counseling programs. Now a very high percentage of, of the universities nationally have those programs and we're training professionals and we're being viewed at a different light than we were when I got into the field. 
eons at, ago. <laughs> at, at what point, Kirk, do you feel people in recovery should be encouraged to speak out? Uh, Obviously, I, it, it's sobriety's first recovery first. You make the assumption because of the high level they've achieved or even just within your own families that that has never been an issue. And I think it's important, particularly for young people, to know that maybe their father, that they didn't even know him when he was having drug problems, is in recovery. The, the people you work with, uh, a lot of people will then talk to you and get in recovery themselves because they're embarrassed. And that's why I think anonymity is important when you're in early recovery, but as you progress, I think it's time that part of your recovery is sharing with others. Tonight we're down here in Texas talking about addiction with some of the top people in the state of Texas and across the country as well. Dr. Phyllis Gardner is president of ICNRC, International Certification and Reciprocity Consortium, and she has her own cheering section here. Congratulations to you, Phyllis. How do you feel about the role of people in recovery in the overall sending of the message, carrying the message, if you will? Again, like, like others have said, we, we have a responsibility to share um, a little bit of our story with people. And I am another person in long-term recovery. I celebrated 31 years sober a couple of months ago. Uh, new newcomer. Thank you. I got sober when I was four, just so you know. Uh, one of the one of the things that I, I love when I run across it because I, I do believe in sharing my story. I mean, not beating people over the head with it, but but sharing it. I love it when I hear people say, "Well, you don't look like an alcoholic," uh, and then I get to say, "Well, what does an alcoholic look like to yeah, you?" Yeah, yeah. You know, and and again, when you when you step outside of of that little box of what people expect the alcoholic to be, which is basically somebody toothless, tattooed, and with dirty ankles. That's, that's, mm. that's what people think in their heads in, in some cases still. They have no idea that people in recovery are their next-door neighbors, their doctors, uh, people living among them. They're college professors like, like Kirk and myself. Um, but also, I, there's a couple of other things I want to sort of split hairs on a little bit. Um, it was touched on just briefly when we're talking about Alcoholics Anonymous and the difference between anonymity and recovery and right. sharing your recovery and so forth. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous asks that their members not divulge at the level of press, radio, film, and so forth. And that's not just about the individual. That's about protecting AA so that if somebody relapses, they don't say, oh, well, that AA thing doesn't work. You know, and, and that's a completely separate issue. I can, I can sit here and say I'm in long-term recovery, and that's on me. That's not on any particular pathway of how I got to be in recovery. But my recovery is mine, and I can share it with whomever I want to. And I have found as a college professor that a lot of my students, and, and I don't walk in and say, hi, I'm Dr. Gardner, and by the way, I'm an alcoholic, and I'll be your teacher this semester. <laughs> it's, it's not like that, but when the time is right, when something comes up, I, I don't hide it, and I, and I tell them, well, you know, I'm in recovery myself, so blah, blah, blah. And I have been privileged, I've been honored to help several of my students find someone to take them to their, their first 12-step recovery meeting. I've been uh, privileged to help connect people with other kinds of treatment resources. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be their counselor, I'm not going to be their, you know, anything else, but I, I can get them connected with people who can help them. And they're willing to come to me because they already trust me as a teacher. 
so they're willing to ask what I think about, about recovery once they find out that I might have some information that's useful to them. So I do consider that part of my responsibility, and I think any of us who are in long-term recovery, and I agree it shouldn't be people who are newly clean and sober, but people in long-term recovery, I, I feel we, we owe a debt. Um, somebody, somebody taught us. And, and we have a responsibility to teach others. I was recently at a national conference, and this is sort of, I'm going to veer off just a little bit here. I was recently at a national conference, and one of the things that was on the agenda was a presentation on, on legislative advocacy and, and how to talk to your legislator and things like that. And it was one of the smaller workshops, um, and it, it made me think that we have this tendency to think that we're in this profession and somebody else is going to make the profession continue to exist for us. We're just going to show up and counsel people, but it's somebody else's responsibility to make sure that, that the profession itself exists. And that's not the case. Every single one of us in this room and on the air and that works in this profession, anyone who is in recovery themselves, anyone who has a family member in recovery, we have a responsibility to spread this message that recovery works and that it's accessible and, and how it works and where it is. Excellent point. Excellent point. And you, you mentioned, you know, anonymity and it, relating to, to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it says in the traditions that anonymity is the spiritual foundation. The spiritual, not a spiritual, right. but the spiritual foundation of the program. Right, right. But that's of Alcoholics that's Anonymous. That's of Alcoholics that's, Anonymous. That's not of my personal That's recovery. correct. And, and the other thing I would say, um, I, although I am a counseling professional, I am first and foremost a sociologist. And w when you hear people talking about, well, we need to speak up and we need to say this and we need to make people aware, what I know as a sociologist is that the way you change a culture, the way you change a mindset, is through repetition and familiarity. If you look in, pick any dictionary and pick a common word, and what you'll find is there, there's more than one definition. And it hasn't always been that way. Definitions get added through life experience and change. I mean, if you look, if you look in dictionaries now, I mean, I'm sorry, but 25 years ago, there's no such word as texting. Okay? <laughs> Our language changes as our experience changes. Uh, and if you look at other, other social issues that have come to the forefront in, in the last couple of decades, what you find is the more people talk about it, attitudes in society change, culture changes, because we become more familiar with it and it's no longer some strange anomaly. It becomes part of our everyday experience and that's the reason we have to talk about it. Absolutely. Stand up and speak out and let people know. Uh, regarding the language, when I came into this field, people in recovery were often referred to as reformed alcoholics. Right. You don't hear that anymore. You don't hear that. We are making progress, but it takes a diligent effort day by day of just letting people know that uh, it's, it's not a big thing. I'm in recovery, and you don't want to hear about it? Fine. And, and don't make a big deal out of it, but make a deal out of it. Exactly. I'm Neil Scott, the program Recovery Coast to Coast. If you're just joining us, we're down here in Texas. San Antonio at the Hyatt Regency Hill Country Resort and Spa, 41st Annual TAP State Conference on Addiction Studies. We're going to take a short break, and then when we come back on the other side, I want to ask the same question to Cynthia Marino-Tui, who is the Executive Director of NADAC. We'll do that when we come back. I'm Neil Scott. The program is Recovery Coast to Coast. Thank you for calling AAA. How can I help you? 
great. Hi, we've got a major malfunction going on here. What's the problem, sir? Well, the problem is that some friends and I decided to go whitewater rafting down this river just outside of town. Sounds adventurous. Yeah, well, it was until one of us who kept his keys in his pocket lost them, hello, <laughs> when he fell, uh, oh, I'm sorry, was thrown out of the raft by some supposed tidal wave. Oh, so you're locked out. <laughs> well, we were until our friend Brian came out with an extra set of keys. So you're not locked out. Uh, no. But Brian is. Nice job, Brian. The genius locked his keys in the car when he got out to give us our extras. Bummer. Exactly. Well, tell Brian to hang tight, and we'll be right out. Oh, you are the best. See, I told you, man. They're the best. At AAA, we understand it's never just the lockout. That's why we're dedicated to helping you with quick personal service to get you moving again. AAA. We're not just about cars. We're about you. Call 1-800-JOIN-AAA or visit AAA.com. Join now and get $10 off a basic membership. If you're considering a career as a chemical dependency counselor, here are five reasons to enroll at the Institute of Chemical Dependency Studies. It's recommended for up to 24 hours of college credit by the American Council on Education, offers an accelerated distance learning program, is an ADAC-approved provider, and their training meets the criteria for the Certified Justice Professional Certification. Plus, student loans are also available. Start your career today. Call 866-523-2669 or go to www.cdstudies.com. We now join the new Diet 7-Up Taste Challenge already in progress. Okay, I want you all to try this and then just say the first thing that pops in your head. Amazing. Yeah. Mm, totally. Mm, there's more flavor. Yeah, more natural flavor. Mm-hmm. More lemon-lime flavor. Yeah, you're both right. There's more natural lemon-lime flavor. Yeah, the lemon-lime flavor is totally zesty. Zingy. Zippy. With zero calories. What is it? Yeah. New Diet 7-Up. Diet 7-Up is new? Yeah, it's been totally reinvented with mm. more natural lemon-lime flavor than ever. It's totally refreshing. I love I know. it. I uh, And it's diet, too. And where's the aftertaste? Now, yeah. that is refreshing. <laughs> Here's to more flavor in our lives. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Try new Diet 7-Up, now with more natural lemon-lime flavor than ever. Diet 7-Up, totally reinvented, totally refreshing. Stop in to your nearest grocery or convenience store today and pick up the new Diet 7-Up. Diet 7-Up has been totally reinvented and still has zero calories. Taste the new refreshing burst of lemon-lime flavors in Diet 7-Up today. We wasted a lot of years hoping, praying for things to get better. I was desperate to save our family. That's when I made the contact. She contacted Sundown M Ranch. Sundown's nationally recognized alcohol and drug treatment program teaches family members how to break down the barriers of denial. They are taught the skills needed to deal with addiction as a family. Now we're making up for lost time. It was the best contact I ever made. Go to www.sundown.org to learn more. She's, she's waving raffle tickets. I thought she was holding an applause sign. <laughs> but thank you anyway. Welcome back once again, Recovery Coast to Coast, down here in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, great people down here, great recovery movement, great system of care in the state of Texas. We are broadcasting from the 41st Annual TAP State Conference on Addiction Studies. And we're at the Hyatt Regency Hill Country Resort and Spa. And we're asking our distinguished panel of leaders and legends uh, this evening about the role and the inherent responsibilities of people in recovery uh, in not only carrying the message, but sending the message of advocating, not just for yourself or for your own area, but for the field in general. Cynthia Moreno-Tui is the executive director of NADAC. Cynthia, what's your take on all of this? Well, Neil, I think the first thing I would say is that the, the role and responsibility of the person in recovery, and I'm a person in a long 
long progressive recovery, is to talk about it in your family, that you become the role model within your family. Because if one person can recover in your family, other people can recover. And I talk about it as progressive in that it's not just the alcohol or the drug that you're recovering from. It's all the other things that go along with the addictive disorder. It's the, it's the family communication. It's the, it's the family hurt. It's the secrets. It's the denial. It's the uh, child abuse. It's the uh, spouse abuse. It's the community denial. All of those things. So when we're talking about the role of uh, recovery and the role of our responsibility in recovery, it's to talk about that and it's to pass it on. And then, and then, it's to talk to your local city council, county council, your state, your national legislators, and say, I vote, I pay taxes, I clean my house, mostly. Uh, I, I'm involved in my community. I'm making a difference, and I'm in recovery. So tell me what you're doing to support people like me to get in recovery. Tell me what your initiatives are to help the deadliest disease in America and now in the world. Help, help me know how you're making a difference. Because I'm making a difference in my world. I want to know how you're going to make a difference. And hold them accountable. Hold, hold them accountable at the city level. Invite them to your treatment center. They need to see what you do and how you do it. They need to see young people in recovery and every age in recovery, every sex, every nationality, every religion. We all recover similarly, and we need to have our legislators see. It's important for them to see. We're not a myth. We are real people. So it's important for them to see that. Invite them to your treatment center. Be involved in Recovery Month. Speak it out. Be part of that system where you make people aware that recovery happens and it happens for a lifetime and it happens generation to generation. I'm going to keep saying that because if we don't get that recovery is generational, we won't get it. Well, what you're saying in terms of talking to the legislators, the policymakers, uh, is fairly easy for Cynthia Marino-Tui, who's the executive director of NADAC. The average person who is in recovery may be scared to death and may say, well, Senator so-and-so is not going to talk to me. I mean, what difference can I make? What do you say to that person to, to maybe encourage them to maybe present the message in numbers or just how you go about it and how, how much do they actually listen? How much difference does it make? You know, it, it's making more difference right now to legislators because they're seeing more of their friends and their family affected by mm. the disease. So if... You know, as a person in recovery, when I first got into recovery, I didn't want to talk about it either, and I didn't want to wear a label. And I think when I got around other people who were willing to talk about it and gave me some words to say that helped me, because sometimes you don't know the words to say, and particularly when you're new in recovery or your self-esteem is still, you know, slowly growing, you've got to have some support with that. So get with other people who are talking that message and who can help you do that message. In Washington, D.C. this year on October 4th, we're going to have a march, the first real national march on Unite Facing Addiction. And it's so that we're, as people in recovery or people that support people in recovery, 
are going to march in Washington, D.C. and just say, see, there are many of us in recovery, and even if I can't say the words, I can march, I can walk. And in many cities across America, in September, there's walks, there's marches, there's runs, there's picnics, all kinds of things happening where you don't have to talk if you don't want to talk, but you can walk, you can be amongst other people in recovery. And just by your body, you're showing that difference. Just by that lending your body as another number of, of a person who cares about this disease and recovery from it. I think, you know, that's another way to do it. You can write a letter to the editor if you're afraid to, and you can be anonymous there. Or you can, you can be involved in your own social service club, Kiwanis, Rotary, Lions, Eagles, Elks, all the animal clubs you can be <laughs> part of. And you can let people know slowly, one by one, I'm a person in recovery. And if you've got an employee or a friend that needs help, I'm there. And I did that in my community because I was pretty bashful in the beginning. And I went to Rotary and I started very slowly letting people know who I was and what was important to me. And people come to you because they know that you're safe and that you care and that you'll listen. And that's, that's what's important. One of my heroes in this field who uh, has, has worked diligently uh, in advocacy and getting people involved isn't from the state of Texas. Unfortunately, he's not here at this particular conference. It's Robert Miles. And Robert, God, I, yeah, absolutely. You know exactly what I'm talking about. He would talk to anybody at any time about recovery, and he would talk about, you know, what one phone call meant in terms of votes, what one visit would mean, what one email would mean, and the fact that we all definitely have a role to play. There's also a, a brochure for people around the country. You might want to check out a brochure called Advocacy with Anonymity. It is available through the Faces and Voices uh, of Recovery website, and it talks about you know the separation of church and state, the separation of the 12-step program, and living in society, dealing with a societal problem. Uh, it's called Advocacy uh, with Anonymity. Uh, let's move on uh, to Sherry Layton, who is the Regional Vice President of NADAC. I'm sure you agree with a lot of the things that, uh, that Cynthia just shared, but what about from your own perspective of people in, in Texas, and wh what are you seeing? Is this process working? Has Robert Miles, the seeds that he laid in the state, taken hold? Well, I think absolutely, and a lot of us in this room know and love Robert um, and have great regard for him, and he's been a mentor for many of us in, in advocacy. And I think the things that I shared earlier with the funding increases that we've had, the things that Frank shared with the approach to criminal justice reform that's happened in Texas, I think um, all of those speak to the influence of, of advocacy in Texas. And uh, as I said, Robert has been a mentor to many, and so he gets a lot of credit for that. Also, uh, just to highlight what Cynthia said on the NADAC website, which is NADAC.org, N-A-A-D-A-C.org, there is a how to, there's how to advocate information on that website. Great. So if it's something that you Give that out again, please, for our listeners. NADAC.org, N-A-A-D-A-C, and you can go there and look for how to advocate, and there's very specific information And you don't there. have to be a member of NADAC. Absolutely not. Mm. So. Great. Um, you know... 
I think Frank mentioned the, the movie earlier, Anonymous People, and I really believe uh, anyone in, in this room, in this profession, anyone listening who's in recovery who has not watched that movie really owes it to himself to take that time. And it speaks to this idea of advocacy while still honoring the tradition of anonymity, but it also speaks to the importance of removing the stigma of this disease and removing the stigma of recovery. It's on Netflix. You can watch it for free. Um, there's a it's available in a lot of different areas, but it's anonymous people, and it's really uh, a great movie that talks about the, the recovery movement in the past, some of the things that interrupted it, and where we are now. We really have great momentum. And one of my favorite quotes that, that I first saw was in that movie, and it says, when we are silent, we allow others to define us, or others will define us. And, you know, for me, who do I want defining me as a person in long-term recovery? Who do I want defining my profession, being an addiction professional? The media is glad to do it for me if I will let them. And anytime someone is struggling with addiction, they are highlighted in uh, magazines and TV reports on the internet. Uh, and the struggle and the tragedy of addiction is prevalent throughout the media. And then we get radio silence, so to speak, when those people begin to be successful in recovery and they're not newsworthy anymore. They continue to get attention if they continue to struggle. If they experience relapse, they're back in, you know, with the spotlights on them again. And, you know, so the, we can also, you know, I never used to get phone calls from people saying, I need to go to rehab. That's a word that the media has brought forth yeah. in our society. We have TV shows now about rehab and celebrity rehab and all of these things. And I don't want the media defining what I do every day at work Good either. For you. you know? And so it's my job to let people know what we do really and truly, the miracles that happen every day in people's lives who do and that treatment works and people recover. And as everyone here has said, I can't say it any differently, we're, our responsibility is to share our story. Outstanding. Thank you very much, Sherry Layton, who Regional Vice President of NADAC. You're listening to Recovery Coast to Coast, America's nightly voice for recovery. We are down here in Texas, and let's see what Frank Davis, used to be a doctor, he is no longer. <laughs> see what Frank Davis, who is chairman of the Texas Certification Board of Addiction Professionals, has to say about that, Frank. Well, I was going to say you saved the best to last, but I went to a workshop on narcissism this morning, so I'm not going to say that. Roses are red, violets are blue, I'm a narcissist, and so am I. So am I. I, I think it's multifaceted, the roles and responsibilities of people in recovery. Uh, and I'll use my early recovery. I hid behind anonymity. I have to be perfectly honest about that. Uh, I could hide behind. I could say, especially when it came to service work, well, I, I have to be anonymous, you know, and that allowed me to escape and hide from it. And I think a lot of people in recovery oftentimes do that. Uh, somebody told me a long time ago, to whom much is given, much is owed. You know, I was given, as a person in long-term recovery, I was given a gift of recovery that took me out of the pits of hell into the daylight of the spirit. And uh, I think I owe it, and I think we all owe it to people around us and to society and to those that are struggling with addiction to see that there is a ray of hope. There's, a, there's, there's hope out there in recovery. Uh, I think uh, we have to share for the right reasons. 
not for our benefit, but for the benefit of those who are fighting this struggle day in and day out. Pe people have to know and have to see uh, basically that there's a message of hope. Uh, I'm not going to be silent anymore. I heard that in the movie. I'm silent anymore. Um, I think we need to take part in community work. I think Cynthia hit on a really good point there, not just in recovery and recovery movements, but in our communities. Uh, I myself was such a burden on my community that I couldn't do enough service work now to ever make up for it, but I try to make some effort to it. I participate in a lot of different social clubs and stuff like that, and in service work beyond uh, organizations that's just recovery organizations. I think we owe that to the people. I think we need to step up every way possible to get our message out. Uh, September's National Recovery Month. You know, if you're not doing something or encourage somebody to do something, shame on you. We need to all make our voices known. Uh, if you're in the Houston area or interested in coming into the Houston area, we have a thing called the Texas, Big Texas Recovery Rally every year in September. We're, it's been moved from Austin to Houston this year. We're hoping to have at least 10,000 people. We want to really expand on that. And uh, the last but not least, and I'm not going to plug anything, I, I fought being a member of a national organization for several years, and I finally joined NADAC and TAP. It has been one of the most beneficial things to happen in my life. I know it cost us money. When I was told I needed to join that, and I said, wait a minute, let me, let me see if I understand this. You want me to pay $145 a year so I go do free work for them? You know what? It has been the biggest benefit in my life because it has opened doors for me and has helped me see things and it helped me become part of a family and part of an organization that steps up and says, hey, we recover. Hey, we need funding. Hey, we need you to listen to our voices up there in Washington. We need you to listen to our voices up there in, in the state of Texas in Austin. Organizations like that step up for us and too often too many people sit back like some of the other ones have mentioned. Well, they'll take care of that for us. For us. Folks, if you don't contact your legislatures, if you don't step up and make your voices known, don't expect somebody else to do for it. What happens all too often is when something bad happens, we lose some funding and say, well, why didn't somebody step up and do something about it? You have to be that somebody. We all have to be that somebody. The more united we are as a voice, uh, the better we're going to be with this. Again, I want to say I'm not going to be silent anymore, and I hope you don't. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Frank. You know, the last question had to do with anonymity and with carrying the message and all of that and, and inherent responsibilities people in recovery have. But one of the things I want to close on this, and if somebody on the panel wants to jump in and add something to it, you're certainly welcome to do it. And that is the fact that if you are in recovery, you have another, I believe, inherent responsibility. And that is to support the fight against the disease from which you're in recovery. If you had cancer, you would give monetary donations to the American Cancer Society. If you had a heart problem, probably the Heart Association, and on and on. People in this field, I believe, have a responsibility to donate to, the, to fight against the disease from which they are in recovery, whether that's the National Council on Alcoholism, whether that's uh, the Texas Council on Alcoholism, Whatever nonprofit it is, I believe people have a responsibility to, to, to put their money where their hearts are. A lot of people, when they sober up, they tighten up. It's very, very difficult in this field to raise money. Back in 1976, I did a telethon with Dick Van Dyke. It was the first telethon uh, on uh, the disease of alcoholism. We had 18 hours of television time. It was a financial disaster. Now, the reason for that was a good reason because in the 18 hours, significantly we never said call this number for help call this number because we need money 
people were calling the number to get help. But the fact is that, that people who are in recovery do not give to the recovery community. I think if you're giving to a charity and you're in recovery, that you should give to a charity in the field of addiction and recovery. Thank you. We're about at the end of uh, this particular segment. Uh, I belong to it. I'll break my anonymity. I belong to a 12-step program for talk show hosts. It's, uh, it's called On and On and On and On and On and On. <laughs> so I, I will just end by saying that uh, ever since I came into this field, I have used the theme, the bright side of alcoholism is recovery. And I urge you to consider that because when people think of alcoholism, they don't think of the bright side. They think of the sick and suffering alcoholic. They think of the person that's in distress. They often think of someone in their family, someone that they work with, someone that they live next to. But the reality is that the bright side of addiction is indeed recovery, and I urge everyone to pass it on. I want to thank all of our panelists. I will repeat their names now, and you can give them a big round of applause at the end. Paula Heller-Garland, Dr. Kirk Bowden, Dr. Phyllis Gardner, Cynthia Moreno-Tui, Sherry Layton, Frank, formerly a Dr. Davis, the whole panel, leaders and legends, ladies and gentlemen. From the 41st Annual TAP State Conference on Addiction Studies, I'm Neil Scott. The program will continue right after this timeout. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you on the other side.